Taylor didn't mention the, well, he didn't need to mention it either. So there's this upcoming event next month I want to tell you all about. And you may not be interested, but, but you may be able to help us. Um, uh, anybody like to fish? Any fishermen? A couple. Any fisherwoman? All right, a couple. Well, we're going to try to do a fishing derby, which we've never done this before, but we're trying to put on an event for our, for our area, for our community, and out on the meadow. And this will be, um, it'll be kind of in place of what we do for our spring picnic, and um, so there will be a picnic environment, food, in and out, bouncers, slides, a lot else going on, but we're going to have like this fishing thing to where uh, fathers, grandfathers, uncles, father figures can help their little ones learn how to pull in a trout or something of that nature. So we're trying to figure out how to how to um, get 100 trout. So if you happen to have any trout in your backyard and you let us borrow them for the day, that'd be great. But if not, maybe you got some thoughts on where, where do we get 100 trout? We're on the phone with fish hatcheries and Bass Pro Shop and, and then also um, just the we need to build some sort of structure that has some circulation. So if you're a uh, builder, or you got ideas on how we might be able to pull something like this off, we've got some time. We'd like to talk to you about it. So <laughs> that's, our, uh, that's our plea for help, because otherwise we'll be out there with kiddie pools. <laughs> but it may end up being that anyway, so we'll see. <laughs> anyway, I'm really glad you're all here, and <clears throat> I'd like to pray as we launch into our message. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time where we ask you um, block any distractions. God, any and all distractions that would prevent us from hearing from you this morning, I pray against any of that. God, I just pray you you would protect our time of worship, protect our hearts, our minds, help us to engage with you this morning, God. We commit this time to you. We commit our, our just our minds to, uh, to you. I pray we'd be attentive and listening and then ready to obey, God, what you say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in this series still, and we end next week. In case you're wondering, when is this going to end? I mean, the book of Acts ends at the chapter 28. And so if you've been reading, um, we're going to wrap up. I'm going to speak on chapter 28 next week, and I hope you would you know, read and keep walking through the Scriptures in your own personal time. And, um, but over the course of the series, we've been answering and addressing questions. One of the key questions we've asked is, how in the world did this teacher from Galilee, Jesus who was born to a Jewish family in a point in time where the Romans rule, how did his life and his ministry, his message, survive? How did it get out of the first century? How did it survive all the persecution? In in A.D. 70, um, the the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. The Romans basically ran off all the Jews, burned things down, and Jerusalem was destroyed. And so how in the world did this movement that began there, was birthed in Jerusalem, how did it get... Yeah, how did it move on? How did it go out? We talked about how the answer to that is, is in the book of Acts. You see the story of how the message of faith went from Jerusalem and then into Judea, Samaria, and moving out towards the ends of the earth, like Jesus said it would. And it, it pushed out of Palestine and began to, to sprout up in little churches. Churches were planted as the message went out throughout the Roman world. One of the key figures was a guy named Paul, who at once was trying to stamp out the church, God turned his life around, and then he became the primary messenger to take the movement outside of Palestine into the Roman world, planting all these different churches. And then he went on these three different journeys. You can read about from about Acts 13 
up through the end of the book, you can read about Paul's life and his ministry of planting churches. And as he was planting these little churches and building relationship and building, developing leadership in those places, um, you know, questions arose. Occasions presented themselves that required Paul to write letters to those churches to put things in order, to straighten things out. And so much of the New Testament is, after you get past the book of Acts, are these letters, Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, letters to the churches that were started. Okay? So if you're reading the book of Acts and you're wondering, how does this all fit together? Acts gives you the historical timeline. The letters tell you what was being communicated to those churches that were planted in those different regions. So we're actually going to look um, at one of those letters, the book of Galatians, which is an area that <clears throat> kind of northwest of, of Palestine, above the Mediterranean Sea, is this Galatian region, the Galatia region. And there were churches planted in that region that you can read about in Acts 14, and then uh, later on, I think, Acts 17 and on. And you can read about the story, but Galatians will give you some of the issues and the challenges that the churches, all these churches, faced. We face certain issues, and these, these issues that come up in the Bible here are really relevant for us today as well. But here's the big question. Here we are 2,000 years later, after these events, and we're still worshiping this risen Savior that we believe died, rose again, and appeared. We're still worshiping him. And the big question that we're asking this morning and then we're going to answer is, does the church's message really matter today? It's not up on the slide, but you'll see it's at the top of the listening guide. That big question, does the church's message really matter today? That's really kind of the heart of today's message. Does it, does it even matter in this life? Most of us know that the message of the church matters in the next life. We, we tend to think that Christianity and the message of Jesus is all about the next life, preparing for eternity. And so, but is it any comfort beyond, is the message, you know, comfort beyond just funerals? You know, we go to funerals. Is that the point of why the church exists, so that when people die, they know they can go to heaven? Is that the only thing that we exist for? Is there more? Does it make any difference in our culture to have the church? If the church were to go away, if the church were to get out of America, there were no more churches, would that make a difference on our culture? That's the question I want to ask. And has it made any difference in the world? The answer is absolutely yes. It's absolutely the church is making a difference. It has make a di- made a difference. But the problem is, for Americans, we have a very, very hard time appreciating the difference that the local church has made. We have a very skewed understanding of the difference that local churches can make in the culture because we were born here. And this is our way of life. This is the only thing we've ever known is America and right and wrong. But your thinking about right and wrong your view of right and wrong has been impacted and influenced by Christianity as an American. Whether you know it, whether you like it, people that don't claim to follow Christ, their sense of right and wrong has been established because if they were born here, they were raised in an environment where certain things were right and certain things were wrong. And that was informed by the Scripture because the founding fathers, not all of them walked with God, but there was this framework, this bedrock built on the Scripture Certain things are right, certain things are wrong. And so all of us, we've been raised in this culture where we, we know, man, that's right. That's clearly wrong. Someone's got to do something. I'm going to do something about that. That's clearly wrong. Then we watch the news. Sometimes we turn on the news or we read the Internet and we see things happening in other parts of the world and we say, oh my gosh, how could people let that happen? 
That is so wrong. That could never happen in America. Sometimes you see the extreme poverty and you think that would never. There's no extreme poverty in America because there's a sense of human dignity, human rights and freedoms that we all enjoy. And even though there are certain people who are poor, people live on the streets, very, very different scenario than what you have in other areas where there's extreme poverty. And some of it is just it just is there's the government isn't doing anything about it. Sometimes, sometimes the case is there are governments that don't have the resources, so the Americans step in. Other countries do as well. Step in and say, that's clearly wrong. We need to do something. But in some places, it's not even viewed as wrong. There's extreme poverty, and, and the government looks at it, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just, that's just the culture. There's a different view. There's a different lens than, that we have as Americans and that other people have from other cultures. And we have a hard time seeing that. But the effects of Christianity on this country are unmistakable, unmistakable. And other people look at America and they say, what is it that makes America stand apart? What's the secret ingredient? What is it that they have? And so other countries have tried to emulate our economy, our democratic government, our weapons. And, and they, they, they try to do all this stuff and then the country's still in shambles. It's because there's a foundation, a value-shaping foundation that our very country was founded upon. And other countries are beginning to recognize there's more to it. Christian, other countries that do not believe in Christ are beginning to say, you know what makes a difference? It's Christianity. And we might think, no, it hasn't. We're just good people. Americans are good. A lot of us have this sense of nationalism, and we think we're just innately good, good people. But the truth of the matter is that the church... The church has marked this country. And the message that we carry is making a real difference. It has made a huge difference on America. We don't know it because this is all we know. But the message in the church is more, we are stewards, this next line, we're stewards of the message of eternal life. That's one of the things that we are stewarding. We've been entrusted as the church with the message of eternal life. What we know from the scriptures is the answer to the problem of sin, to the problem of eternal death. But also, and what I want to focus on this morning is that we're also stewards of the message of a better quality of life. This message that we have, is the, it's, it provides a better quality of living. And we in America have experienced this just because we were born here. We've experienced a better quality of life than people in other places because the values that our country was founded upon. Take a moment to think about that. You may have to really... Is that true? Is that true? Because some of us are thinking, we're just an innately better people. As Americans, we struggle to think, we just think we're just better. We're just good people in America. We work harder. We're, 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 we're better. We're right, brighter. I know that's not a word. but And so we want to credit America's success to other things to our nature, to our natural abilities. We want to say, you know, America's good because we're naturally really good. But the problem is nature is devastating. If you understand nature, nature has this devastating potential. Nature is tsunamis. Nature is tidal waves that sweep away towns. Nature, nature is tornadoes that rip through Midwestern rural communities. and ter- That's nature. We all know the effects of nature. When you turn on Animal Planet, you see nature. And one of the things that we all enjoy about Animal Planet or Discovery Channel when you see those kinds of things 
is not the, you know, the bears petting each other and hugging and lions rolling. I mean, you turn the channel, nothing happening. You want to see kills. You want to see destruction. You want to see sharks. You don't want to see sharks swimming and, you know, gliding up against other fish. You want to see it clamp down on a fish. Let's just be honest. Nature is devastating, isn't it? You turn on Animal Planet, they do what they do in their natural habitat. They do what is normal, what is natural for them. So what do you see on Animal Planet? Lions killing, sharks eating, pit bulls biting, alligators snapping. All of those things are natural, isn't it? That's what nature is. And the human nature is not a whole lot different. Left to our own accord, left to our own human innate abilities, human nature is destructive. Look at some of these things. Human nature is racism. This idea, you're different than me, and I'm better than you. That's racism. That's human nature. That's in us. Even though we would all agree that it's a bad thing, we've all felt this. Because this is natural, to think, I'm better. That is nature. Unleashed, that's nature. Creates racism. Human nature is also adultery. Everyone is against adultery, cheating. And yet it's so prevalent. Why? Because that's so natural. It's so natural. That's nature. Left to himself and left to herself, that is what is natural, is to cheat, is to, to have adultery. Cheating in the sense of, you know, cheating on tests, cheating on taxes. The reason why most people do not cheat is because they think they might get caught. For some people, that is the only reason. For some people here in this room, that may be the only reason that's keeping you from lying on your taxes is you think, I might actually get caught. Because if left to your own human devices, it's human nature just to cheat. It's human nature to get as much as we can for ourselves. Human nature is also lying. All of, it, all of us have the ability to cover our tracks. Slavery, it's natural that we would think people need to serve me. People need to wait on me. People need to... Human nature can do some destructive, despicable things. This is just how nature is left to itself. Bad things happen. First come, first serve, that's nature. That's what you see with the lions in their natural habitat. They get there to the kill, they eat it. They don't back up and say, hey, it's, it's buzzard month. You know, it's jackal season. Let's back off, boys, back off. We're going to give fair play here. No, nature is first come, first serve, and we think the same way. I got here first, get, get behind me. You might say it a lot different than that. Get behind me. I'm here first. Do you see me in line? I didn't see you in line. You know, we're at a drive through counter. First come, first serve, baby. I got here first. You're racing. You ever race people to the drive through counter? You ever race people to the movie counter? I know you have. You see them and you're late for the movie already. Oh, man. And you're, hurry up, hurry up. Trying to get your family there before everyone else. This is what comes natural to us. An eye for an eye. That is what comes naturally. To pay, to make people pay. See, this is why the church matters more than we can imagine. Because the teaching of the church, the teaching, now don't miss this, the teaching of the church is the teaching that says we can create different, a better, a more superior lifestyle than what nature can do if left to itself. This is what the church has always said. We can create a more superior lifestyle than, than what others are experiencing outside the church 
Because nature will take over. We want to help people overcome the human nature. Paul, guy who was spreading Christianity throughout the Mediterranean region, he wrote about this very struggle, this very tension. Most of the churches that he was writing this to were planted in regions where there was all these new believers in Jesus coming out of very pagan, worldly, immoral lifestyles. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to contrast, here's what life would look like if we all gave into our human nature, and here's a, a way of life if we all did it different and said, what if, and he, he kind of laid it out and he said, guys, what would happen if there was a group of people who let the Spirit of God dominate their lives? What would happen to a, a community, a nation, a family if, if there was a group of people who, who let God's Spirit change them from the inside? Man, so many good things would happen. And Paul is saying, let's compare human nature from what can happen if we let God take charge of our lives. And he's going to challenge the church to live this out. This is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. <clears throat> it says this, So I say, live by the Spirit. He says, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires. The word desires means appetites. The appetites of the sinful nature. Live by the Spirit, he says. If you do that, you will not gratify the desires, the appetites, the things that are natural of the sinful nature. What he's saying is if you go natural, it's not pretty. If you go with your nature, it's not a good thing. If you let nature guide you and you let your natural appetites rule your behavior, it's not pretty. Nature will move us in the wrong direction. In fact, Paul says it's sinful. He calls it sinful. Our, our, our human nature, it's sinful. Then he goes on, he says this, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. What Paul is about to point out as he reads this list, as he shares this list, he's saying this, whole, this list I'm going to give you, it's obvious. The sinful nature is obvious, meaning when we read the list, we're not going to say, oh my gosh, people do those things? In fact, they're so obvious that some of us, we look in the mirror and we see these things. They're so personal. They're so normal that when we look in the mirror, we see ourselves wrestling with these natural, sinful desires. He goes on, he says, the acts of sinful nature are obvious. First, he says, sexual immorality. People try to redefine this today. People are always trying to redefine, what does that really mean? And everyone has a different standard. And we're all tempted to point fingers at people and what they're into in their lives. But at the same time, we all know we've been tempted towards immorality. Every single person in here has been tempted towards immorality, to some extent, sexually. Why? It's because immorality is natural. It's normal. This is what happens if we just let ourselves go. Immorality is the direction that our nature takes us in. He goes on, he says immorality, sexual immorality, then impurity and debauchery. Debauchery is a word that we don't use in this culture. We don't use this word, debauchery. But what it basically means is whatever, whenever, and with whomever we please. It's, it's unrestrained. Men, this is for you for a second, ladies. Feel free to talk amongst yourselves. Can you imagine living in a world where you totally allowed your sexual nature to control your behavior? Can you imagine living in that kind of world? If your behavior, if somehow you were rich enough, powerful enough, 
And you thought you could get away. You, you controlled the laws even to do whatever you wanted. Couldn't get into trouble. There was no consequences. Did you know that in the first century there was a culture just like that? It was called the Roman culture. Many of these new Christians came out of that type of lifestyle where they did whatever they wanted, whenever, with whomever they pleased. And did you know that in the centuries following the birth of the church, there was whole kingdoms, whole countries where the kings were, were living this kind of lifestyle where they did whatever they wanted, unrestrained, and it set a tone for that whole way of life. And eventually it corrupted and destroyed those cultures from the inside out as they did whatever they pleased. Can you imagine what our neighborhoods, what our schools would look like if someone did not put the brakes on this part of human nature? Can you imagine if this was unrestrained? No matter where we draw the line, we know there's a line. There, all of us know, and there's right, and then there's certain things that are wrong. We know there's some thing, We know there's a line. He goes on, he says, idolatry. Idolatry essentially means to put more value on something than on someone. That might be more value on some material thing over God or over other people. It's the attitude of, you know, I'm willing to hurt you if you scratch my car. Don't scratch my car, and I'm, we're okay. It's, I don't mind making you feel less important than my hardwood floors, than my stuff, than my possessions. That's idolatry. Basically, stuff is more important than God and even than people. Then he says, in witchcraft, trying to harness the supernatural for our own advantage, for our own well-being. That's what witchcraft is. More about the human sinful nature. He says, hatred, discord, jealousy. Jealousy is tough to see in the mirror. Jealousy is something we probably always say, yeah, I'm not a real jealous person. It's very, very difficult to see jealousy. Some of you ladies, you hate it when you see a certain kind of woman. You don't know her, but you hate her. And you hate that you hate her, but you hate her. You don't know her name. You don't know anything about her. She may be the nicest woman in the world, but there's something about her you just don't like. You're jealous of, and you hate that. You feel that way, but it rises up. Some of you men, you hate other men for their jobs, for their paychecks, for their spouses. You hate them for their cars. I'll be honest. Sometimes I drive up in my broken down cars and some punk <laughs> drives up in this lifted, sweet truck. You know, he could like Bigfoot over me if he wanted to. And I'm just like, oh, I hate that. I hate you. I don't know you. you might... Again, it's this jealousy. It's they're up there and we want to force them down to where we're at. Jealousy just can dominate us. That is natural. It's natural for us to want to bring others down. That's human nature. It goes on. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He doesn't even stop. The list goes on. And the like is the little Greek phrase that just means etc. Like, it goes on. <clears throat> now, as we go through this list, just like Paul said, this is an obvious list. No one fell out of their seats. No one passed out, oh my gosh, people do these things. I can't believe it. Oh my gosh. This is, this is natural. We can all go in this direction. In modern society, we have laws. We have laws keeping us from pushing the limits on all these things. That's the purpose of laws. Because left to ourselves, we're bad. That's what our laws are stating. You can't, we have to put laws. Otherwise, humans are going to destroy each other. These humans are going to just do whatever they want. 
Laws are the only reason that some of us are as good as we are. Some of us, we'd be really bad if there weren't laws keeping us from certain things. History tells us that. As countries have embraced despicable things from their leadership down and it destroyed them. If you thought you could get away with fill in the blank, you might. You might do it. It's in us. So does the church matter today? Absolutely. This is why it matters. Because if left to ourselves, we're a mess. We're a mess. Apart from the message of the church, apart from what we are sharing with others, if things went the way they naturally go, our society would fall apart. It would be a place none of us would want to live in. So then Paul says, there's a better way. There's another way. And he goes, here's the better quality of life. The fruit of the Spirit, he says, the Spirit is what energized the first century church. The, the Holy Spirit is how those first Christians went out and shared the message, despite persecution, despite struggling through it. This is why they went out in the streets and said, hey, God is doing something new in, in your midst. He says, the fruit of the Spirit, that Holy Spirit that inhabits those of you who've invited Jesus Christ to come in your life, whenever you've done that, the Holy Spirit moves in and He begins to inform our conscience. He begins to inform us in a new direction. And His, His work within us is what causes us to say or to think, I don't think I should go. Or I don't think I should look. Or I don't think I should click. Or I don't think I should type. Or I don't think I should smile. That's the Holy Spirit moving us in a new direction. I don't think I should cheat. I don't think, I don't think I should break my word. That's, that's the Holy Spirit moving against what is normal. But the fruit of the Spirit, listen to the list. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is you first. You go first. I was here first, but go ahead. You go first. You take my seat. There's only one seat left. I was here first, but I want you to have it. That's what love is. Love is also all sacrifice for you. All sacrifice. I'll give up. Even if you give me nothing in return, though there may be nothing coming back, that is, that's what love is. I'll sacrifice even though you may hurt me. Even though I may get... Love is... I'll sacrifice. Sacrifice is, it costs me something. You do not find love in nature. Again, you don't find love in human nature, in nature. Then he says, love, joy, peace. If you go with your nature, you will have an affair. If you go with your nature, you're going to cheat on your taxes. If you go with your nature, you're going to steal if given the opportunity. This is just what comes natural. And do you know what everyone who's ever stolen, cheated, or had an affair has not experienced and struggles to, to find is peace. They struggle to find that peace that only God can give. Because it's, it's I'm wrestling. I'm being pulled back and forth. They're, they're, see, God, he says, there's a way to have peace. There's a way that the church, this new church, our church, that can have peace. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's when we let the Spirit of God dominate our lives and pull us in a new direction. He continues. He says, patience, kindness. Kindness is something that is, wasn't even in the Roman dictionary. They didn't practice kindness. So the Roman rulers of these people and these cities and these towns, you know, they didn't know. They didn't have this modeled from them by their government. They were cruel to Christians. And so Paul says, kindness, be kind in this cruel world. 
That's the Holy Spirit taking charge of that area of your life. Goodness, faithfulness. Faithfulness is, hey, I, I said I will, I will. You can count on me. You can depend on me. Faithfulness is, I sign my names on those documents saying I'd pay you back, and you know it's going to be painful, and it might take me weeks, months, years. You know what? It might even take me decades, but I will pay you back. I will pay them back. I owe them. I said I would repay. I, faithfulness is I will repay. Faithfulness is also I said I'd stick with you when it was good and when it's bad, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be here. That's what faithfulness Faithfulness is even if the law says I can walk away or doesn't make me do it, faithfulness is I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to be faithful. Men, faithfulness is what you want your son-in-laws to be if you have kids. That's what I want my son-in-laws to be. My daughter-in-laws, I want them to be faithful. He goes on, he says, gentleness and self-control. Self-control runs contrary to everything that is natural to us. Nature urges us to do something, self-control pulls it back. In fact, we all ought to have self-control month. We all, as Americans, just this is self-control month. Imagine everyone practiced self-control all month long. Imagine how much more we'd get along. Imagine how good of a month that would be. We'd all be skinnier. We'd all be healthier. We'd all be getting along better. We'd all, husbands and wives would just be unbelievable towards each other. Self-control. You wouldn't be able to, you know, you wouldn't say that response, that witty, sharp response, that look, that glance. Self-control month. All sorts of businesses would go out of business. All sorts of internet businesses would go out of businesses. Things that we wish would go any, away anyway. They would go out of business. Because there's no... Everyone's practicing self-control for the month. If you were to ignore the rest of the list that we just looked at, all the good stuff, and just allow the Spirit of God to produce self-control in you, just think about the difference that would make in your family, in your, in your workplace. This is why the message of the church matters so much. Then Paul, he ends with the tiny phrase that you may have missed as you've read through this passage probably many times. This is an astounding passage with tremendous implications. He says this, against, well, and he's trying to say, look at how a person looks when they're filled with the Spirit. Against such things, there is no law. There's no law. First, he says, when it comes to the natural deeds of the flesh and our human nature, we need laws. We need laws to keep us in balance. But when an individual is controlled by the Spirit of God and embraces the deeds and the activities of God, there's no need for laws. They do what's right. The Spirit of God produces a desire to please Him. Regardless of what our government tells us is right or wrong, the Spirit of God moves us in a better way of doing life. You've never once heard anyone say, Hey, no more patience. Stop it. You're too patient. Or cut the joy out. That's not allowed in here. You're too loving. You're too kind. You're too good. You have way too much self-control for this family. You need... We don't restrict these things. That's what he's saying. There's no law. There's no reason. Paul is saying when the fruit of the Spirit you know, increases the laws, the need for laws diminish to almost, to almost nothing. Because suddenly it's not all about me for my sake. This is so powerful. And the church, again, as American Americans, and then as maybe if you're a Christian, as a Christian American, you probably have a hard time seeing this because we think we're so good innately but truly our nature is bad it's destructive 
But this is the message of the church. We've got a message that is more superior, we believe, than, for, than, than what those are experiencing outside the church because we see the difference that it makes on our culture. And the church has always believed this. First century Christians believed and preached there's a new way of living. When, when the Romans would mistreat women, they would say, there's a new way. There's a different way. We think our Christian values are more superior even than in a culture where a daughter who does something dishonorable to her family and would be killed and should be killed in their eyes. We think that there's a better way. So we teach, man, forgive. Forgive. There's an, it's not eye for an eye. We say forgive. What we're talking about, the message that we're so fixed upon, it really makes a difference. And if we aren't sharing it, then we're in for it as a culture. It's the church that says husbands ought to love their wives like Christ loves the church. How did Christ love the church? He sacrificed for the, for the good of the church. He sacrificed himself for the good of the church. Imagine the difference it would make in our culture if husbands loved their wives for a month as Christ loved the church sacrificially. doesn't matter what she dishes out. doesn't matter what she says, how she looks at you, how she responds. If he decided, I'm going to love her sacrificially, imagine the difference that would make in your home. Wives, reverse that and think about, what if I was to show respect all month and do it God's way, regardless of how he loves me, regardless of what he says, looks at me, comments. What if just for a month we took this so seriously and let the Spirit of God change these things about us? If we don't, as the church, say this, who's going to say it? This is our message. It has the power to change. It's the church that says forgive. It's the church that says serve. It's the church that says love your enemies. Take care of those who are broken and needy. If the church ignores these things that just naturally go on, then we're doomed. It's also the church that says sex is is not just for mature people. It's for married people. It's the church that says you're more than just a body. You may just see a body in the mirror, but you're more than a body. You have a soul. And it's the church that says there's more to intimacy than just physical activity and pleasure. God gave this sense of oneness for a very, very specific purpose. And it's in marriage that you share that. And if that message disappears from our culture, then then who's going to say it? Then everyone's going to run around and view each other as just a bunch of bodies. It doesn't matter. And every married person knows that there's more to sex than just what is physical. There's much, much more. It's the church also who stands up for unborn babies and says, this child has a life, has a right to life. There's more than physical. There's a soul. So that's our message. It's a message that has shaped Western culture. And we're experiencing a a pretty good quality of life in America because this message has penetrated. It it founded our culture. It is eroding. There's things that are being challenged constantly. But the church cannot be silent. There's not a week that goes by that I'm not in conversation with people who are picking up the pieces, the damage in their life because of broken, sinful human nature. They're, they're, what we're sharing, it, it makes a huge difference. We gather together each Sunday and in, in little groups trying to encourage each other on because we, it really matters. It's not just about eternity. That is crucial. That's a deal breaker. If you miss Christ in this life, you will not spend eternity with him. Scripture is clear, but there's, there's all this time that goes on from here to when I die. 
that you, your life can have a tremendously better quality because of Christ. It matters. And we, we dare not turn our back on this culture just because it's going in the wrong direction. We shouldn't just turn around and, and huddle together in the church and think, well, it's all falling apart out there. Let's just, we dare not do that. This is not the time to turn inward, to focus on ourselves. It's the time to, to really engage our culture, to love people, to show Christ's love to this world, and to allow the Spirit of God to dominate and redirect what is very, very natural to all of us. If we'll not be silent, things can change. Things can change in our families, in our church. And you might be stuck right now because of one of these issues that was addressed. You know, the, the Spirit of God can change that. He's the only one that can change that. He is the hope that our community has, our country has. We can't, we can't keep quiet about it. Van's going to come up here, and next week we're going to finish up this series. And I wanted to look at this today because as we've got the, the history down from Acts, I wanted everyone to understand the message and the impact of the message that was being passed along in the first century and that we are stewarding. We're in tr- we've been entrusted with a message of a different way of doing life. And, and you are engaged in relationships where people are drowning. And you have the answer. You have the hope that they need. You, you can offer that hope to them for a better quality of life, a different way of doing life. And I, and I hope you will. Would you take out that connection card? And you see these next steps on the back. My next step is to read Acts. You might check one of these boxes. Keep reading the book of Acts. We're going to wrap it up next week. Maybe you want to memorize this verse, Galatians 5, 22, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Or maybe you would just say, you know what? I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to dominate my life with the fruit of love, or with the fruit of self-control, or the fruit of patience. Pick one. Just pick one. Don't, I'm going to do them all. Just pick one. And just say, God, would you, I'm going to put this there. I'm going to put it in a little, I'm going to stick it on a piece of paper. I'm going to plaster my car with it, my mirror with it, so I see it first thing when I'm brushing my teeth, when I'm going to bed. So I, I have this on my mind. God, would you dominate my life with patience? Would you dominate it? I'm driving around. Because again, our human nature is going to pull us towards the other things. So ask God to pull us in the right direction. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time this morning, we thank you for your word and your love. We thank you for the way that in Christ we can have eternal life. And also, we can have a very, very different and better quality of life than without him. God, I pray that we would understand that, that we'd believe that, that we'd embrace that, that we'd respond to that this morning. It's very possible you've spoken to many here, God, about some things in our nature that have pulled us in the wrong direction that we need to just confess to you right now. So God, as we as we're here, we just pray you'd bring those things to our mind, Lord. Or help us to move in a new direction, God, empowered by your Holy Spirit. God, and as we receive the offering, I pray, God, that as we give, it would it would be pleasing to you, God. We present these offerings to you as an expression from our heart. And we just ask that you'd be pleased by it, God. We love you, God. Thank you for the 
the grace that you've shown us in Jesus Christ. That you'd forgive us as broken as we are. Lord, that you would sacrifice yourself so that we could have a new life. We love you. We're so grateful, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.